They should win the game. They get a point. We, we score a perfectly good goal. Make it 2-0. Game's done, done dusted. We win the game. Fish has cost you two points today. It's standard. 10 past 10. Most of the children are probably in bed, but the, these, these boys are fucking mentality giants. It's unbelievable. And Shakiri hasn't he the funniest shape. He's a little chunky fella. They'll fight for the tree. The joke. Gone about far this, far that. Help the officials out. Clearly they need help. Clearly we play in the Premier League. The joke. The joke. So on a night where Ireland are good but just not good enough, we're left waiting for a playoff scenario in just over three months' time to qualify as one of the host nations to a competition that seems simply impossible not to qualify for. Hello and welcome to this week's Tree of the Bag podcast. How are you, lads? How's it going? Hey, Kev. So tonight, along with Keane and Phil, we're joined by Oshin McKearns of Pundit Arena for a bit of a review roundtable to unpack everything from last night's uh, one-on draw against Denmark. Um, thanks for hopping on tonight, Oshin. Oh, no problem at all. Happy to happy to chat about yesterday's game. Um, so to begin, I suppose it was a fine performance from Ireland um, and undoubtedly the best of the qualifiers. They died with their boots on, they gave it their all, you know, all the usual kind of cliches. But unfortunately, it wasn't good enough on the night. Um, Oshin, we'll start with you. What was your impression of the game um, and the performance from within the ground, which seemed like one of the one of the better uh, atmospheres uh, at an Ireland game in a long, long time? Yeah, I suppose to start with the atmosphere, the atmosphere was really excellent. Um, both sets of fans, to be fair to the Danish fans, they were out in full voice as well. So yeah, the Aviva was packed out and it, kinda, it had that kind of big night feel. That you get from certain games. Um, in terms of the performance, yeah, I thought I thought they played well. They did. They, it was undoubtedly, as you mentioned, uh, the best performance of the, the campaign so far. But I suppose if we take it in context, there's still the same issues that have been plaguing this McCarthy side and even Martin O'Neill's side um, at the end of towards the end of his era. Just the, the lack of creativity really going forward. I mean, defensively, it seems like we kind of have have that sorted, but just as McGoldrick obviously had such a good game, but there was just no one in support of him. I think the midfield needs more creativity. I think McGoldrick needs more support. I think we're kind of almost too reliant on just crosses into the box. That's kind of our only form of attack, really. Um, so all in all, yeah, it was a promising performance. And I think going into the playoffs, there is certain cause to be optimistic. But then on the other side, it is hard to see Ireland essentially winning two games, which is what's going to have to yeah. happen. Phil, what did you make um, make up of, uh, of the lineup? Um, Oshin mentioned the lack of creativity there, um, and we knew going in it was going to be fairly conservative. Um, we knew James McLean was going to start. We knew he was probably going to pack the midfield. So it's all well and good having a bit of hindsight now and saying Mick should have done this or that, considering we didn't win. But um, what did you make of, of how we lined up? Yeah, initially it was a, a bit of a puzzle to me in terms of like, well, like was he going to play kind of a four-two-three-one? Um, who was going to play wide? Who was going to play central? Uh, in terms of those kind of four conventional midfielders that he picked, along with McLean and McGoldrick. Um, so at, at at the beginning it was a little kind of mysterious, and then it became very obvious that they were kind of pl- trying to play Hendrick as kind of a quasi ten, and McLean left. Like 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 we've been saying, like it. it it was a chronic lack of creativity in that midfield, but that's nothing new for the campaign. Like to date, he'd been picking kind of three out of the four midfielders to play in a three, and that definitely wasn't working. Um, so I think last night, with a kind of narrow midfield on one side, it ceded control to the fullbacks, which suited us. To, like the, the two fullbacks had the most touches on the Irish team. I think uh, Stevens had 80, 83 or 85 touches, and uh, Doherty had 80, I think, and they were pr- probably our two best players. 
Um, and definitely on Doherty's side, you could see the benefit of tucking Brown in and letting Doherty kind of have free reign of that of that side of the pitch. So I think there might be something in the idea of those four midfielders or four central midfielders, depending on who you actually want to pick, but kind of playing a bit narrower and letting the fullbacks do what they do really well for their clubs. And that might be a window into solving their creative problems because I, I just don't know, short of completely overhaul, overhauling the midfield and playing like Jack Byrne and people like that, I don't know if the tried and trusted Mick centre midfielders are going to, between now and March, grow creative wings. Um, I think maybe a way forward that was pu- kind of painted in the game last night was let our fullbacks carry that uh, carry that task. Yeah, I, I would kind of... I would agree with a lot with Phil saying there in terms of at least in terms of the fullbacks. I thought Egan and and, uh, and Doherty were really really good. I just don't understand, lads. The what really struck me afterwards in the immediate aftermath of the game, there was this wave of optimism. And Ushin kind of like touched on it there in, in terms of like you know an optimistic nature going. Into, I don't really get it. Like I don't understand. I mean, what we did, what was essentially asked of us last night and that we went for it a little bit um, and we fell short. Like, I wasn't really surprised. I did think it was going to be a 1-1. Like, in essence, the, the, like, the, the reality of it is is that we are not good enough. And I don't, I don't think there was anything in that performance that would suggest that we are optimistic going into a two-legged, for all intents and purposes, a two-legged playoff against two different teams um, which will most likely be away from home. I mean, when was the last time, you know, in a competitive game that we beat somebody away from home? Has anybody got that offhand? I don't, I can't remember. So, I mean... Uh, Austria, I think. In, it was, it was Austria. Year, in the, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, and you were probably, at that point, you were pretty much, like, close to, to the peak of the powers there with, with O'Neill. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't really see it. I mean, the really annoying thing for me, and I suppose this is kind of like jumping ahead a little, is that it's a pity we don't have some games between now and the playoffs because I would absolutely have Stephen Kenny in there um, otherwise because I just don't see us qualifying with with McCarthy at the helm. I don't think we have enough. I, I, I do think that he will revert to playing Coleman over Doherty going into the playoff games, no matter what. I think McLean will continue to play despite having no real impact on, on the attacking phase of of of, of the play. Um, yeah, and I, I think he's got I think he's got a really big conundrum in, in terms of central midfield. I, I don't think he knows how to solve it. Um, so I just see too many issues to solve for for Mick. Um, for, for us to, to have any sort of optimism. Well, Oshin, is it solvable in time for March? Yeah, I see where you, I do see where you're coming from there, Kim, in the sense that I do feel as well that this McCarthy team is almost like, I think last night was the peak of McCarthy's yeah, of yeah. The team, the peak of the powers, yeah, in yeah. a sense. Like, that's the, they've hit their ceiling now. You know what I mean? That's the best that they will perform in that system, in this current regime and under McCarthy. Um, now, I think being realistic, the whole Kenny coming in thing, I think obviously it's never going to happen essentially mm, um, mm. for the playoff game. But no, I have to agree in, in that one. I just It's just so hard to kind of, when you tear everything away, to see them actually getting down the brass tacks and winning two football games because mm. we've only won, what, three in the, in the qualifying campaign and two, two of those were against Gibraltar and one was Georgia. And 
no matter who we get in the playoff, be it Slovakia, Wales, Northern Ireland, whoever it is, they're going to be a far tougher test than either of those two sides. So yeah, mm-hmm. I suppose when you when you boil it down, really, the fact that they actually have to go out and win because two one all draws is not going to be enough. Well, I say that now, but watch us win on penalties or something like that. But still, though, <laughs> when you when you boil it down, it has to be two wins. And it's just looking at the team last night. Yes, the performance was good, but for me, it kind of was it was the peak of the powers, I suppose. Yeah, and just to follow up on that as well, Oshin, like you, you do, like the the set of circumstances that led to what many perceived as to, to be a, a positive performance, like is not going to be the same set of circumstances Absolutely. going into, do you know? So you yeah. can't. I, I I don't really see the. I mean, like to, I suppose to counter it, um, would be to say maybe like Conley will come back. Um, and who knows? Like you know, yeah. maybe maybe a Josh Cullen could come in there. Like, um, but yeah, yeah, I don't really see it. And like, I think he will stick with somebody like McLean up top and uh, you're or, or out in the flank. And and I, I yeah. do honestly think Coleman will come back. So it's kind of like it's nearly just sort of like it's it's playing it's sticking with players who. Are just not doing it um, over a, over a period of time, and I've said it before and lots of times on the podcast. Like, I don't want to keep digging out James McLean because, like, it's not his fault. He's trying his best, and you can see the lad's mm. um, confidence to to an extent. His app, his aptitude, and his attitude, and um, and his fitness levels—they're all there. But like, you can see, he's just not being the player he was maybe like two years ago. Um, yeah. I, I, and it, they're flogging a dead horse with this I, 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 at the minute. And you know, you, you, a counterpoint would be like, well, who will you play in, in that position um, in in his place? And, and look, like you can say, all right, like Robinson's not pulled up any trees, or Sean McGuire's not pulled up any trees, but they're not. They're being given like minimal chances. Um, in, in these posi- in these positions, so it's like you know, the, it's the, the point in my opinion is negligible, um, and you just kind of have to go with somebody else. Mm. Yeah, I suppose it's Mick trusting lads that he knows. That all kind of theory, mm. I'd say, it, it's like Mick feels like he's fighting a relegation battle, and these are the players that would get him, say, a point here or there. Do you know what I mean? Crucial, crucial kind of points. They're they're players that are kind of might not have the flair, but they they'll give their all. And I think. Mm. As long as that kind of is still the the, pre, the preface, I suppose, for McCarthy, I don't think we're ever going to kind of push on in that style. Like, um, to go back to Keane's point um, about Coleman and Doherty, and, and I mean that's probably going to be an interesting narrative going into the March uh, playoffs, um, and it'll probably go along a lot with um, with their club form. And I think Coleman's kind of been in and out of Everton, um, and Doherty's obviously been one of world's better performers in a wing-back role. Um, I thought going into last night, it was interesting to see Ellen Brown out on the right-hand side, um, and I was a bit sceptical that they'd work well together, and I think after a couple of hiccups in the first couple of minutes, they really gelled, and I've thought Ellen Brown probably had his best performance for Ireland um, in probably his, his biggest game of his career. Doherty certainly had his best game, or his best performance for Ireland um, in his few opportunities there, right back, I, I I'd be surprised as he could come back into it at this point, um, considering how well Doherty did play. I mean, Oshin, first of all, what did you make of of Doherty's performance, and secondly, how Brown kind of um, dovetailed in that kind of right hand side position, um, which obviously probably isn't his his strongest position, but he 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 looked like his if you want to call it a gamble with Mick uh, starting there kind of paid off. 
Yeah, I suppose it did seem like a little bit of an unusual move to throw Brown out what was perceived to be the right wing, I suppose. He did obviously cut, or come inside a lot. But um, I think it actually worked quite well because it freed Doherty up quite a bit. He kind of had the run mm. of the right-hand side. And for me, it was really great to see Doherty finally kind of show the form he's shown at club level, at international level, because it's been very stop-start for him. The Gibraltar game where he was with Coleman, that didn't really work out at all. I think he only got a half there. So, yeah, for me, it was great to see Doherty get in there. Alan Brown, I thought, also had a good game. I think Alan Brown is the kind of player who, like, he kind of shows it, in, he's shown it in flashes. Yeah. He's kind of almost developing every, with every game he plays. I, I do agree with that point. I do think it was his best performance uh, so far for Ireland. But I still think he has more to give. I mean, I think he's probably better suited to maybe a kind of number 10 role where he, play, play, where he plays should I say, um, a club level pressing because I know he got like 15 goals last season mm. playing there. Mm. Um, so I think for future reference, I think that's his best position. But in terms of the role he had last night, I think he did it admirably and he really, really aided Matt Doherty, who, as I said, definitely had his best performance in an Ireland shirt, I'd say. Um, and speaking of number 10s, we, we had Jeff Hendrick there kind of behind the striker. Um, and I think we've we've had, seen it now over the last couple of games where Hendrick has kind of struggled um, in, in certain facets of the game I mean his touch um, and his kind of confidence on the ball hasn't always been um, been truly there um, and when you see him in that number 10 role um, and I suppose it, it kind of dovetails as well with Howrahan and Whedon and the kind of tried and there and how they operate he it, it doesn't seem to really work in that position Phil I, I mean we can praise McGoldrick who was absolutely immense last night but I think how much better he would be if he had a player off him who could get on the ball um, and maybe find those passes in that kind of number 10 role there. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like Coming from a position where in Euro 2016, Hendrick was arguably our best performer, at least amongst them, uh, he's kind of struggled for Ireland ever since, which is kind of disappointing. You, you expected with the age profile he was and that he had major tournament experience under his belt that he might kick on a bit and kind of become a real driver for the team. Because he... he we can see he has technical ability. I mean, mm. like I'm not saying he's Xavi or Iniesta, but he has technical ability. He's uh, uh, like athletic. Um, like you said, I, I don't think he's he's particularly bang on for that number ten position, especially off someone like McGoldrick, like you said, because McGoldrick's so clever and quick with his with his knockdowns and his, his hold up play and the way he can slip passes. You're just looking for a little bit more guile, or if not guile, goal threat. And Hendrick's not really bringing either. Um, kind of to, to Oshin's point, if Brown is better suited to the ten. Maybe you could, you could use Hendrick's athletic ability out on that kind of right channel and let him kind of pull inside and keep um, keep, keep that right wing free for Doherty. So that may be a workaround. But every time after an, an international window, I find myself thinking Hendrick's not going to play the next game. Mm. And then it comes around to the next game and you're kind of thinking, he probably will though. But it's, it's by virtue of being a regular Premier League player, um, he hasn't been at all at his best this campaign I thought second half he was a lot better than he was first half I mean he literally tripped himself up over the ball in the first half so it was probably a low bar but um, I don't I, I think you're right we haven't found the right position for him yet in uh, this campaign partly because of how we've been setting up but definitely partly because of how he's playing um, you'd hope by March time it comes around and whatever system Mick goes with that he's had a good couple of months under his belt at Burnley and he kind of shows what he can show for Ireland mm. Uh, he's he's a really, really frustrating player overall because he's one of those lads where you, you're just trying to... You nearly kind of shoehorn him into the team somewhere because he has that ability 
every now and again to show something a little bit different, whether it's like a little bit of clever footwork or it might be a goal out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, he, he's he was lost last night. Let's be honest. Like he, his, in my opinion, his best position is probably a number eight. Um, a, a slight bit of box to box. He plays. He play between an anchor and maybe like a number ten. I mean. If 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 I was picking the team last night, I would have went with Whelan. I would have went with Hendrick in eight, Hendrick or Hurrahan in Hurrahan, sorry, in eight, and then as a number ten, I would have went with Jack Byrne. Now in lieu of Jack Byrne, I know it would have been a bit of a risk to play him last night, but I think the lad has got the balls to to front up in these games. Um, I definitely would have played him last night. I think you needed, to, like, as the game wore on, you needed to get somebody with technical ability, mm-hmm. a bit of vision and a bit of passing um, talent to, to really kind of open them up. Because we we had three, we had a lot of possession in the second half, in particular last night, and we had three sh- shots on target in the entire game, not including the goal, right? I mean, like, that's... And that, that kind of feeds what I was talking about earlier on in terms of, like, I know it was like a bit more of an industrious performance than than usual, but in reality, like we still had only three and three poorish attempts. Hurricane's um, attempt in the first half, which was you know kind of like it was like a pass back to the keeper. McLean's kind of like you know daisy cutter, which was essentially a pass back to the keeper, and then Hurricane's um, it was like a cross that Schmeichel palmed out, which was probably like that was actually probably as before the goal as close as we'd come to scoring. Um, so so yeah, I mean we desperately needed somebody in there to open them up, um, you know instead of going down the flanks. Um, so Bourne for me would have would have definitely started. Now that in lieu of that, I think Oshin, you've covered this or you've been covering it for a wee bit is like. Dan, and I, I've spoken about it on, on the on the podcast. Is like we desperately, in my opinion, need to get Daniel Crowley on board. Um, he's mm. a Birmingham City. Um, he used to be a kind of like a youth superstar at both Villa and Arsenal. Kind of has lost lost his way for a bit. Found himself in, in Holland at the Eredivisie, and then um, moved back to to Birmingham. And, and like you know, he, he's by all accounts impressed at um, at St Andrews, and he's got three assists. He's played 15 um, times for Birmingham this season. Um, I know, Oshin, you, you, I'll probably bring you in here in terms of yeah. where his, his status is at, but he's a really, really intelligent player. He's he's, he's really clever in that that number 10 role. Um, I, I think he would have definitely lent something there last night. But yeah, either going forward, I think we need somebody like him or Jackburn in there to to kind of to help. Hendrick out um, and yeah. take the burden off him a little bit. Yeah, I definitely agree in terms of Crowley's talent. Um, last I'd heard uh, from DFAI, this was that his case, his eligibility case, was still ongoing. So I know that's not too much, but that's what they gave me. So yeah. um, uh, in terms of in terms of Crowley, I'm kind of going to bite back a little bit here, and I, I think that Byrne can probably do that job mm. to a to a similar level, if not better. Um, than Crowley can and we have him there do you know what I mean I think yeah. I, I I do like Crowley I think he's a good footballer I think it would be the right decision to get him in if we can but I just think Jack Byrne for me having seen now this will be I'll be biased having seen Byrne play a whole lot more than I've seen Crowley play but I just feel like Byrne could probably do the job that Keane you feel Crowley could do as well mm. as good if not better completely agree I mean 
my worry with, with, with Byrne is that, in, especially in the number 10 role, is that if he doesn't get the ball, he tends to drop a little bit deeper to get on yes. it. Yeah. Um, which would then kind of like, I, I suppose it would it, it would muddy the waters in terms of the, the the number six and the number eight role because he's constantly trying to get on it. Yeah. Um, so that would be my only worry. But yeah, I was just going to add um, in terms of starting Jack Byrne, and I mean, you could probably say that the half-time substitute for for Kieran Clark probably didn't help matters, um, and we'll never know if if Byrne or Paris or um, maybe it was going to be Robbie Brady or whoever was going to be that third substitute um, when we were pushing for the result. Um, and I, I, I don't like to reference back to that New Zealand game, considering it was New Zealand. But it was the best glimpse we got so far of Byrne starting for Ireland and just being so comfortable with the ball at his feet mm. and being able to stick back um, into pockets of space to receive the ball, which I find when we get to the final third... Um, we kind of muddy ourselves and we're, we're overplaying it or we're getting the ball cut from, uh, caught under our feet. Um, we just don't have a pair capable of, of, of receiving the ball um, and doing something with it in that final third in those little pockets of spaces. Um, and I mean, I'd, I'd love to see him start frowning. I think he's probably, whatever about playing his level at League of Ireland, he's obviously one of our most talented players with the ball at his feet. Mm. He is creative. He's more creative than anyone else that we have there. Whether I, I obviously I don't think he's going to start um, in any of these playoff games when you hark back to, to how Mick McCarthy plays. But it would have been good to see. In hindsight, it would have been great to see him, um, and especially how his relationship would have been with McGoldrick, who I thought was absolutely immense last night. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, if we want to stick to a positive, Oshin, um, it, it's mad to see. McGoldrick, and I think he's 31 or 32 now, how yeah. he has kind of stepped into being probably one of our most important players. Um, and there was an article in The Athletic last week um, from Michael Cox that just kind of analysed how Sheffield United kind of set up and everything kind of flows through McGoldrick. Like he's so important and obviously he doesn't get as, enough goals or, or, or assists than we'd like from, from, a, from an out-and-out striker, but he's so important to what we do. His hold-up play, his touch, everything is top class. And to have a player of Burns' calibre around him would have been a huge help last night. Yeah, I, th- I, I have so much time for David McGoldrick. I think he's just a brilliant footballer. Every little, he does little things so well, just little touches and little when he knocks the ball off and the runs that he makes are always the, seem to be the right ones. And it kind of feels like sometimes the players around him aren't really on the same wavelength or he's thinking one step ahead of, say, a Hendrick who's in the number 10. I agree I would have liked to have seen Byrne there just because it would have kind of pushed McGoldrick up maybe a little bit further because at times McGoldrick, I, I, I don't want to say guilty of because this is not necessarily a bad trait, but he can kind of operate as both a 9 and a 10. He's kind of he's nearly yeah. a 9.5 in the sense where he's in between. But that's only, I think, because he has to do it in this Ireland team. I don't think he necessarily would would pick up that kind of space say for a Sheffield United. I think if Byrne was in there, yeah, it would have maybe pushed McGoldrick up a little bit more and he would have had less work to do. So for me, I think definitely, although I, I will take your point though, the Kieran Clark coming on, that probably did hinder yeah. any chances of anyone com- coming in, I suppose, between those lines there. But listen, we can only wonder. Mm-hmm. I, I think like a potential alternative to, to Byrne, like, and to talk about the positions that McGoldrick picks up and he kind of drifts uh, deep and wide, is like you saw when Robinson came on, 
Robinson started to pick up the positions that a nine would pick up, and McGoldrick actually was floating out to the right-hand side quite a bit. Mm. And it allowed him to do, like in that Michael Cox piece you were talking about there, Kev, like he knows how often McGoldrick is like as wide as these overlapping centre-backs. And it's a really weird position for, for a nominal centre-forward to end up mm. in. Um, like like we kind of said, I think it was you watching at the top of the podcast, there was just no support from last night. And like if yeah. Hendrick and McLean are your attacking support, he can't trust them to make the kind of runs that allows him to move into the positions that he probably would most like to take up. So when Robinson came on, not just because he's a teammate, but because he's he's more suited to being a centre forward, he did pick up those positions and McGoldrick drifted out. So yeah. like I, I like I'd love to see Jack Byrne in the team if we're trying to find a way that's maybe more realistic to give us more of an attacking threat in terms of like somebody Mick might actually pick in March. Like somebody like Robinson, obviously if Connolly's back, that'll help. Yeah. Um, like a, a support for McGoldrick, like whether that's from behind him or in front of him. As, as, like as, I think him as the lone striker probably doesn't work as well because he's looking to do all these things that he's a step ahead of two. He's a step or two ahead of people. And like McLean is, you know, not going to make the runs that Conley might make. Um, so I think, like if I think if we're looking for support from McGoldrick, it can either come from a ten or it can come from a more kind of traditional nine to let him do those kind of mad things that he tends to do. And I suppose on on staying on on topic of of Sheffield United, um, Irish contingent. Um, I thought Enda Stevens was fantastic as well last night. It probably would have shaded McGoldrick to my man of the match just because he was so involved. Um, from that left back position, um, and I mean, I, I think was it you, uh, Keen tweeted um, it could have been someone else about his debut and how he's mm. kind of grown um, from from being you know kind of not an overly uh, impressive player, but everything has improved with it, and and I mean he's so skillful um, and and he's he's very attack minded, and we've seen that with Sheffield United, and. He is a top quality left back, which is a which is a sign of encouragement going forward into Kenny's reign and beyond. Um, with him and Doherty uh, at either a full backside, um, I think we've we've Ryan Manning as well as another option who who has been mm. very impressive QPR. He hasn't been getting a look in, but there are options there. Obviously, they're they're all in the back four, which uh, which 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 doesn't help. We'd obviously prefer to have um to have, to have some more strikers and attackers being thrown in there. Yeah, I would love to see. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny. Like with with Stevens, his his full debut, uh, he was like really really nervous for the first probably like 25, 35 minutes, and then just you know he didn't look like he was at that level at all, and then just kind of settled into it, made a couple of nice passes, and then just came and then just went from there. You know, and he's been really impressive ever since. The problem with with Ender Stevens at the minute is is essentially the personnel in front of him is that you could see it so many times last night where Stevens had the ball and he was look nearly him and McLean were kind of like on totally opposite wavelengths and in, in, in what to do like uh, Stevens was looking to go in behind McLean was kind of going in behind there was like there was these weird sort of like junctions like where, where the two of them were just completely stuck um, with each other so it was like yeah, I don't know how you solve that problem in front of him. Well, I do know how you solve it in front of him. You know, <laughs> you, you find somebody a little bit better that, than James McLean. 
Um, look, I suppose to, to, to touch on a, on a different topic, we'd be remiss to kind of like not mention it right now. Oshin, you'd kind of had a bit of a, a, I wouldn't say you didn't have a spat with him. He had a spat with you, James McLean, yeah. in, the, in the press conference. Um, what what was what was going on there? Like, what exactly happened, and what what sort of prefaced the whole thing? Yeah, well, so basically, he's had an issue. We believe it. We've been told. Um, with stuff we've we've been writing about him because we've been critical of him in terms of we've said that we don't feel that he should be essentially a starter in this Irish team anymore. Um, we've never kind no, of gone... Not exactly a hot take, is it? No, no. We, we've never, as I said, we've never kind of attacked him personally or anything like that. Mm. Um, so we always felt like the criticism was not... not it was hard, but fair. We, we felt... Um, obviously, McLean doesn't see eye to eye with that one. Um, but hopefully, in the next coming weeks, maybe the next international break, we'll get a chance to meet up with him, clear the air, and uh, just move on, really. You didn't offer him outside and after that? Oh, because, no, like, I, I, yeah, I, sorry, I, I did. I, um, the, an FAI uh, spokesperson, I suppose, came back in and and I said, listen, I'm, I'm ha- I want to know what that's all about. It was explained to me. And then I said, yeah, listen, I don't mind, I don't mind talking to him whenever it may be. But um, in fairness, the, it, has, it was such a busy kind of few days with hmm. the New Zealand game, the Denmark game. So they decided that there was just too much going on so that the, the, the meeting should be either the yeah. next international break or whenever, whenever I suppose, McLean is back. So as I said, we're, we're happy to... We, we don't have a personal issue with McLean. Never have. I still yeah. don't have a personal issue with McLean even after yeah, this. I mean, yeah. I, like, it, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, as I said, I, I, would, I would be keen to, to chat to him. And if he feels like we've done something completely untoward, then we can discuss it. Mm. We can have a back and forth, um, and hopefully clear the air. I was, uh, to be honest, I, I, I was even just from from I suppose from a personal point of view, it was kind of it actually really annoyed me because yeah. you know the, the the situation is that if a player is not playing well, anybody is within their right to criticise that performance. Now mm. James James McLean has had his, his his you know he's obviously known as um, a cool, calm, and collected kind of head. So uh, yeah. this is kind of a, this is. You know, it's not exactly like a surprise in the occurrence. However, he's had like in reality, he should have a thicker skin than this. I mean, yeah. he's he's dealt with worse abuse. Mm. So you know, to to this is constructive criticism. You're not playing well. Like what? Uh, that that would 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 really bug me. But yeah. beside besides that, was there many people in the room alongside you? Was there anybody that kind of was just like, what is that about? And, and kind of like stood up for you in, in, in um, that sense. Not really. I mean, after it, he sat down and, and the press conference just went on and I kind of just sat there, one of those kind of, where was this really happening type moments. And mm. I suppose I wish, maybe I wish I had got up and left or something like that, but I didn't. I just stayed there and it just went on on like normal, really, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, that's it. Was just yeah, really, really odd when I'd never really, even when I'd heard the uh, the audio recording of it, I was just yeah. kind of it was it was really sort of taken aback by by. The, the, the ferocity with, with which he kind of like delivered it but um, I suppose just going forward you know on, on a personal level for you do you kind of like like do you go to the next press conference um, with him kind of on, on with a decent relationship in terms of like are you able to ask him any questions has he borrowed you from it or um, in terms of just a, a press conference with him or yeah if, he, if he's at the next Republic well, of Ireland I'd imagine, I'd imagine if 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 it happens before we get the opportunity to hash things out, then 
I wouldn't say questions will go down too well. Mm-hmm. But yeah. again, again, I can't, I can't speak for him, so I don't know. But as I said, hopefully everything will be resolved. Um, in terms of Japan, because for, for me anyway, it's it's not a massive. I, I don't think it's a massive thing. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's as I said, I don't, and no, no one here from the arena holds any kind of real remorse towards him. You know what I mean? And it's always ever been football that we've kind of we've commented on. So, yeah, as I said, most the, the thing I kind of want to get out of this is just to clear the air and maybe it was Move on. a misun- misunderstanding between the two of us, between us and, and him. Hopefully it doesn't uh, it doesn't affect anything in the future. So yeah, basically move on. Sidestepping that for a second, um, and back to the to the individual performances, um, Keen. Um, I don't know whether I was surprised or not to see Glenn Whelan get a little bit of criticism last night. I thought he performed well enough in his role. He's probably had his best spell for Ireland since he came back from his uh, his so called retirement um, under Martin O'Neill. Um, where did you stand on the side of Whelan's performance? Kev, I love that you came to me for this one first, <laughs> um, knowing that I am the greatest fan <laughs> of Glenn Whelan. Um, yeah, look, I, I sometimes when I'm watching games, especially from the comfort of Twitter, and you can see the reaction to, to games and to certain players, and you just you can't understand exactly how somebody else is watching the same game as you are. Like, I'd seen people criticising Glenn Whelan. I'd seen people, um, I'd seen media outlets uh, this morning in their ratings give James McLean a higher rating than Glenn Whelan, which I was just dumbfounded by. I mean, I, like, Glenn Whelan was was by far and away not the issue in that Irish in that Irish performance last night. I thought he played really, really well. And I think he's he's kind of like, since he's gone to Villa um, two years ago, I think he's kind of entered like what what was probably like being a, you know, the twilight of his career, obviously. But he's been playing some really good stuff. Um, I don't really know what it is because it felt like he was finished um, after he kind of left Stoke and you didn't think there was any way back from him. I think his time had definitely come to an end under Martin O'Neill. But um, yeah, I thought he was really good last night. I, I just didn't, understand where the criticism was coming from i don't know what way you guys viewed it no I, i'd definitely be the same I, like I, like kev was saying like this little patch since he's since he came back from supposed international retirement is probably his, his best spell for ireland definitely his best since kind of that kind of early to mid trapatoni era when he when he was first establishing himself um like you said Ken, i don't see how anyone could pick him as being default with the game with the team last night i mean we've been talking here for whatever three quarters of an hour and we've been largely talking about a lack of creativity Um, who you play in that number six kind of anchor role isn't necessarily going to be the answer to that and it's definitely not going to be the difference if you play Glenn Whelan or Josh Cullen Um, they're not going to be the difference with our creativity problems so for the job he's in the team to do I thought he did it really well I think it was 85% pass completion so like kept it ticking Mm. over like I, I think I might have seen the same player ratings as you because I was dumbfounded with McLean getting a higher score and he was given credit for making a crunch and tackle in the second half that he'd actually precipitated by giving the ball away. And whereas <clears throat> that's not Whelan's job because number one, Whelan doesn't necessarily have the legs anymore. But number two, the idea is that he's knitting the ball together, acting as a stopper, but not necessarily breaking his arse to make tackles. So it, once you accept what and six in a McCarthy team is going to do, I can't see how you could have much fault with Whelan in any of the games at uh, this campaign. He's been one of our stronger and more consistent performers. 
and I don't think it can be underestimated that he's been to Euro, to, Euro uh, 2012 and 2016 and has played in however many campaigns he has as like a proper leader and kind of elder statesman in the squad on top of everything else. Yeah, I would agree with that, Phil. I think Poyland's probably without doubt been our best midfielder throughout this campaign. Um, it's mad to think that Martin O'Neill essentially retired him this time last year, considering, I suppose, he still he does still have a, a good bit to give. Um, I know he's, he's 35, he'll be 36 for the game in March, so whether his fitness will hold, I know he's been a brilliant professional in the sense that he's, I, don't, I think he's rarely really had any major injuries, but whether his fitness holds up, I think, in, in uh, for March, should I say, I think that could be crucial to how Ireland operate in the playoffs. Can, can I ask you, lads, who who do you think are um, are the options there long term for for uh, his replacement? Because it seems like Jason Malumbi from the under twenty ones looks like he's ready for the step up. Yeah, yeah. Starting, yeah, I think Malumbi. I have. I think Malumbi is a brilliant footballer. Watching him, I think it was the game against Italy at Tallah Stadium. I know he's actually probably in action now, the game kicking off, but he's a, I think he's brilliant. He's a, he's a different type of midfielder to what we've had for a, quite a long time in the sense that he's a box-to-box midfielder and he's mm. a player that in, when, you're, when you're watching him live, you can nearly hear everything he's saying. He roars at his teammates. He lets every single person know he's there. And one criticism I'd have of Jeff Hendrick is the fact that you could watch a game and not know that Jeff Hendrick is playing but you can't watch a game and not know that Jason Malumbi is play, playing because you'll hear him. You'll know all the time. When he's given the ball to his teammates, he, I, I think Roy Keane said this. Um, Roy Keane used to be very critical of players who would have a poor first touch when the ball was fizzed into them. And Malumbi's like that as well because he always, when he put, puts a pass through to someone or he plays a ball across, he'll always put so much in it. And for me, that's the kind of sign of a great midfielder, a great leader. He's got great trust in, in his teammates. And I think he really is ready for a step up. I mean, he's playing regularly at Millwall which is okay bottom half championship but for a 20 year old that's still quite a high level so mm. for me I think he's definitely the he's an, a natural to step up in the next few or the next year or so I suppose Sticking on on the under 21s there for a second um, and obviously we're recording this before um, their match against Sweden um, tonight uh, and if the likes of Leo Connor is back um, Jason Malumbi like you mentioned Troy Parrott is also starting um, having, having gotten his uh, debut against New Zealand Oshin, is there anyone else that you can see making the step up? Um, not necessarily right away, but maybe when, when Stephen Kenny finally takes the reins. Um, because on the surface, it looks like we have a lot of talent, but but not just kind of quality players, players that are at a high level or will be at a high, a fairly high level in the next couple of years uh, in terms of club games. Yeah, uh, well, for me, I think the two centre-halves, I think especially Darrell O'Shea, um, he'd be one that I'd like to touch on. I know he's... Slavin Bilic rates him very highly, I've been told, at West Brom. He, um, I think he was supposed to go out on loan in the summer. The plan was for him to go out on loan and get another season of experience, I think either in League 1 or League 2, because he was with Exeter last year. But Slavin Bilic came in and really was really impressed by him in training, so he's been in and around the first team. I think he's a fantastic centre-half. He's kind of old-fashioned in the sense that he'll, get his, he'll put his head on things, he'll put his foot into things, but he's good on the ball and he works really well in the system that Kenny plays. So for me, he's definitely one that could step up. Um, I think Connor Coventry as well could be one to look at. He's not, I suppose, spoken about as much as Jason Malumbi in terms of the, the kind of anchoring two that Ireland play, uh, that, that Stephen Kenny's Ireland play. But he's quite highly rated at West Ham, apparently. Um, I had read somewhere that I think he 
they haven't offered him a new contract or something, so he could be up for grabs in January. But I think he's a really he's a great footballer. He's a Thai footballer. He works really well with Malumbi. He's good on the ball. I think he won the man one man of the match, I think, in the Italy game. So aside from the I don't want to call them the obvious ones, but your Parrots and your O'Connors, I think Darrow Shea and Connor Coventry are certainly two that could step up in the next year or so. Um and you mentioned Parrot there and Someone tweeted uh, against New Zealand that for everyone calling for his name, this is probably the first time they were going to see him in action. Yeah, is is, is he the real deal? I mean, uh, my first impressions of him was he's a lot bigger and he's a lot kind of taller and stronger than I thought he would be. He he seems, and obviously it's, it's some reach, but he seems kind of early days Harry Kane in yeah. his build. Um, how do you think he'll he'll develop? Um in terms of maybe getting some game time at Spurs or, or possibly going out on loan? Yeah, well, I suppose to start, um, I don't know if you've seen, but Pochettino just got the sack, so that might not be yeah. fantastic for his uh, wow for his future. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. So, uh, so that might not be the best thing for his future. But uh, going back to the point, I suppose, um, I think people kind of had this idea that Parrot was similar to Robbie Keane just because obviously being with Spurs, young Irish striker, but he just doesn't play like that at all. You, you did mention it there. It is Harry Kane that I suppose he kind of modeled this game off. But for me, what was really impressive seeing him, uh, especially in the senior game against New Zealand, was the fact that he was up against an experienced centre-half in Winston Reid. He's played, I'd say, over 100 Premier League games. And the way in which he kind of... His, his, just the little things he'd do, I don't think I've seen a 17-year-old striker do those things, whereby he'd know exactly when to kind of lean into Reid He'd know when to go down. He'd know when to make a run. Those kind of little things that you don't necessarily expect, I suppose, from a 17-year-old striker making his first senior international debut. Um, so for me, yeah, I think he's I think he's the real deal. I think it probably is important not to get kind of too yeah. overhyped. But then again, on the converse, it is very hard not to when he just consistently kind of keeps improving and improving and improving every time you see him. Oshin, just just um, I wanted to touch on. Uh, sorry to cut across anybody, but I just wanted to touch briefly, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, right? Yeah. Every time there's an international uh, glut of fixtures, the youth sides, the under 17s, under 19s, and even the, the under 21s, like they just seem to be winning all the time, and it's yeah. like they're spanking teams. Um, as well across the board. Now, I know that it was only a Gibraltar and it was 13-0, but there's been a few other results along the way where they just feel like all the youth sides uh, seem to be producing talent. And I just wanted yeah. to know, had you, you aligned on that? As, as to, do, you, do you have a feeling as to what's going on there? Is this just like uh, a once-in-a-generation glut of like you know talent that's coming up? Or, or, or is this a pattern to things? Yeah, well, I think... I think it's kind of half and half. I think, yes, we are in a special generation of players. I mean, even the under-21s are showing there's so many. I mean, if you look up and down, God, it's a lot of our Premier League academy players and the talent is there. But for me, I think in the last kind of year or so, the, the pathway, I suppose, between, say, OK, 15s is a bit young, but we'll go for, say, 17s to 21s. Like, the amount of players, I know that, I think it was the 19s when they had their Euros in the summer, they were, they were missing so many players because... The clubs wanted to keep them, Premier League clubs wanted to keep them and stuff like that. But what we saw that worked really well was 17s going up to 19s and managing to hold their own. And the same with then you got 19s going back to 17s, 19s going up to 21s. And for me, there's great kind of synergy between those three teams. Now, where I think there's an issue is there's an obvious disconnect then between the senior team. It doesn't flow. All mm-hmm. four teams don't flow. I think the three of them do. I think that's the issue where, whereby 
the jump from 17s to 19s is fine. From 19s to 21s is fine. From 21s to seniors, the jump is... We've made it really, really difficult. Um, so does, Kenny, that, does Kenny fix that? I think, initially, I think he helps to kind of blood younger players in. Yeah, I, I don't think... I'm, I'm not sure if people have this preconceived idea that Kenny's going to come in and be the saviour straight away because I don't think it's going to be like that. And I think he's going to have issues in trying to fit players that he really likes from the 21s, who probably do deserve a chance, and players that are kind of internationals already that are experienced. Because it will take these two meshing together for this to really work, because there's no point in him disregarding all the senior players and just playing 21s. And then there's also no point in him not trying any of the 21s when he comes in. So, yeah, I think... Going forward, I think, um, does he change that? I think he does, but he needs to be given time. I think that's so crucial because if you look at even someone like Michael O'Neill when he came to Northern Ireland, he struggled initially and it took time for him to, to really get his stamp on the team, I suppose, and for them to succeed. And I just worry a little bit that the expectation will be too high because if we don't make Euro 2020, which it doesn't really look like we will, then people will be begging for this saviour. And, oh, here's Stephen Kenny, and here's the, the next great thing for Irish football. And if he comes in and say we get, because the World Cup group is going to be tougher, say we get a really, really difficult World Cup group, say, I don't know, we get, say, Germany, Holland, someone like that, and we lose our first two or three games, then all of a sudden it's everyone's saying, well, did Steve, is Stephen Kenny good enough? Well, it was such a step up in level. Did, it, did the FAI make a mistake in bringing him in? But he needs time, I think, to get the best out of it. So, that was a bit long-winded, but to answer your question, I think he does change it, but I don't think he changes it straight away. I think it's it's all about time and, and yeah. moving things slowly, nearly. Um, and reeling all of that back to uh, the short term, um, I suppose we have March to look forward to now. Um, we don't know what sort of permutations um, will have us who, who play, and I think Slovakia are... The, the main kind of uh, contenders that that we could end up playing away, um, and I know there's reports today that UEFA could be um, jumbling the rules again to, to try and get us a home draw there somehow. Phil, first of all, are you confident going into these group or into these playoffs? And secondly, do you, can you foresee any changes, um, any stark changes from 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 the usual mix of? Like like we were saying earlier in the podcast, we're, we're gone from a position now where we had one game to win to qualify to having to win two of them. And uh, as Oshin said earlier, we the only games we've won in the qualifi- qualification campaign have been against Georgia and Gibraltar. So <laughs> the form recently wouldn't give you massive hope that we were going to go through two games uh, and get two wins. It's not even where we have the two-legged situation where we can kind of sneak away goals or whatever and a, a little bit of kind of jiggery-pokery. It's so far away. I mean, it's it's basically the far end of the season, or at least it's close to. Um, so, like, there's going to be a lot of water under the bridge between then and now. Um, and it would nearly would have been more beneficial to us, I think, to seize on the current vein of positivity if the playoffs were, like, next week. Yeah. Because we're, go- we're going to have months now where Mick can kind of stew over what he's going to do, and we're going to have, as it stands, as you said, notwithstanding the UEFA mess, and we're going to have an away game. Uh, against a side who is at least as good as us, probably better than us. If it's, if it's Wales, probably better. If it's Slovakia, probably equal. But Mick in an away game that we have to win is going to go out with, you'd assume, a similar enough team to what started 
um, last night, all things being equal. And that's not necessarily a recipe to go out and win games. So what I'm saying is I think the, the distance between the two games probably allows for conservatism to creep back in and uh, mm. kind of undermines our ability to build on a relatively positive um, a relatively positive performance last night. If I had my way, one slight change I'd make, and I've given up trying to proclaim for a three at the back because it's not going to happen or whatever. Um, like a, a four-four-two diamond with that four that played in midfield last night, maybe Brown at the tip and Connolly and McGoldrick up top. Uh, play relatively narrow midfield, let the fullbacks uh, up and down the wings, give McGoldrick somebody to play off, and um, so all that does mean dropping McLean, which I don't think will actually happen. Um, but I've realised that he is basically the one thing that's stopping all my dreams coming true. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, actually, I, I think Phil, you mentioned it, an interesting one there. Um, I kind of want to touch on this earlier, but the Aaron Connolly next to David McGoldrick, I think, is something that could really work yeah. quite well. Just, I kind of, to harp back a little bit maybe to, because McGoldrick and Billy Sharp, who I know, you know, Billy Sharp and Aaron Connolly a little bit different, but a little bit similar as well in the sense they're both quick, both good finishers, and they he played really really well off of um, off of McGoldrick last year, and both players benefited from that kind of that partnership. So for me, I think Aaron Connolly is one that I'd be really excited to see next to David McGoldrick. Now again, I don't know if it uh, if it'll happen. I definitely, probably it almost definitely won't happen in the playoffs, but maybe going forward, I think that's definitely a partnership that that Stephen Kenny. Could uh, could look at to try and try and get the better, get the most out of um, mm. McGoldrick and the, the the attacking assets that he has. Definitely, I think if we could base our future off anyone at the moment, it probably is Aaron Connolly. Um, considering he's been so impressive for Brighton, and now it looks like he's he's starting week in week out for them if and when he's fit. Um, and he's probably playing himself at club level into a position where he can't be dropped for Ireland. Um, and he does seem like a kind of a perfect foil from McGoldrick, you know, kind of little yeah. and large sort of a thing. He's plenty of pace. Um, you referenced Parrot being kind of compared to Robbie Keane. I'd probably compare Connolly to Robbie Keane a little bit quicker um, just because he seems to pick up positions um, in the box that are kind of Keane-like, that just steps off the defender and gets the shot away. Um, but he definitely is a bright spark for our future. Yeah, as I said, I, I really do like Connolly. Um, I remember seeing him, I think it was the Armenia game. I think it was the Armenia game where Ireland won. Um, Ireland was 20, 21's won in Tala. And he was far and away the best player. I mean, he absolutely burned the Armenian, I think it was, was the Armenian right back. Uh, he just, again and again, he had his number. And he really stood out because I'd seen Connolly play before, I think in Toulon. And I remember thinking he was, he was promising. Actually, I, I interviewed him. Um, around this time last year, and he was wasn't he wasn't short of confidence. And I'd seen his uh, his stats in the in in the under with the under twenty threes, and with Brighton, I thought God, this guy he seems like he's the real deal. But having seen him then in person, he uh, he really really impressed me in that game. So yeah, I think I think I'd have to agree with you there, Kevin, in terms of him being a being a, a good one to kind of rest our hopes on in the future. Keen, we have you back there. Um, just a little, uh, last comment on on how you'd foresee March um, and that playoff situation. It's good to be back, lads. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> we missed you. <laughs> um, March, I would just like to reiterate my feelings at the top of the program. 
I am not overly optimistic. I'm a little bit more optimistic having had this chat on the podcast tonight. Um, I don't see us getting to the Euros. I don't see us getting to the Euros. However much uh, UEFA wants us to get there and, you know, basically have a big old party. I think we'll probably have a big old party anyway. Um, we'll, we'll welcome um, Europe to our doorstep. But no, I don't see us getting there. I hope in the meantime, uh, Jason Malumbi has the season of all seasons at Millwall. Um, the kid at Brighton, um, Connolly. his name, Aaron Connolly. Connolly, Aaron Connolly, basically tears it up and Troy Parrott somehow becomes the new manager at Spurs saviour. <laughs> um, you know, essentially, we have, we have three top-class young players and Jack Byrne obviously gets his place. But, you know, that's asking for an absolute frigging miracle. Um, so, yeah, I'm not overly uh, optimistic at all, um, which is a crying shame, to be honest, lads, because, you know, for a large part of the qualification process, it just felt like we were just getting there. It felt like we were just, you, you know... it. it, it I, it's the most Irish thing ever that this has imploded um, in our faces. Now, in saying that, before the game, you heard McLean and you heard a couple of the players basically talking about, oh, well, if we don't win this, you know, we've got the playoffs and we've got the back door. And you just don't give Irish people a back door because <laughs> they'll want to take it. They won't want to take the actual opportunity in front of, in front of them. So last night didn't it surprise me one bit. And... Um, so yeah, maybe I'm kind of hanging my uh, my last thread of optimism on the fact that we do love a last chance mm. um, scenarios. That that's that's essentially um, any realistic hope I have. Mm. Sorry to end it on that note, lads. <laughs> <laughs> a, a little bit of pessimism, but I think I think long term we do have a, a few uh, yeah, sprinkles yeah. of optimism. Absolutely, um, it mightn't come next summer, but but definitely. Uh, It'll be a real fresh start, I think, after that. So um, all depends, I suppose, on how March goes. Um, so I think we'll leave it there and uh, we'll probably reconvene after those uh, after those two games in March. Uh, we, could, we could have a completely different um, narrative and a completely different uh, positivity uh, around the table here. So uh, thanks, Oshin, for, for joining us here. Thanks, Mel, no Oshin. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Cheers. <laughs> and thanks, Keenan, Phil. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, lads.